Welcome to the Sunshine Bridge, a show which features those who serve or who have served their community in Louisiana. I'm Elizabeth Eads. Luke Carter was a hugely influential figure in South Louisiana radio. He's often credited with being one of those who helped start the classic rock format at WCKW in New Orleans. He also played an instrumental role in assisting in the creation of WXOK, the black gospel station here in Baton Rouge. On our public radio station, WRKF, you might remember his Sunday Baroque show, or better still, his Saturday morning Dixieland jazz and big band shows. Suffice it to say, Lou Carter's life was one filled with the love of radio and the love of playing music, and his record collection of 30,000 records is an easy testament to that. His collection is currently housed at the Point Capee Historical Society in New Roads, Janet Humphreys is the president there, and when I visited the Lou Carter listening room, she told me all about the nitty-gritty of trying to organize and archive such a collection and the importance of taking on such a task. So this is what 30,000 records looks like. Approximately. I was just reading some of our old notes from when the collection was donated, and Lou had had donated 13,000 albums, which are the 33 long playing albums that everybody's familiar with, but we've probably got at least as many 78s. At least as many. I I would say so. I mean, you and I have walked through here and you've seen them stacked up everywhere. What did you first think when you first saw it? Well, so when I first joined the Point Capilla Historical Society, I was a member at large. So I didn't have a leadership role. I was new. I was sort of a bit new to the community. I didn't grow up here. I moved back here. My family is originally from here. And so I was looking for something to do as a retiree that was kind of civic-minded. And somebody said, well, do you want to come to a historical society meeting? And I said, sure. And the next thing I know, I'm on the board as a member at large. But then you can sort of pick and choose which projects you want to work on. And somebody had mentioned the Lou Carter Room. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't remember him as a DJ when he was working here in Baton Rouge. I did graduate from LSU, but I was kind of busy as an undergrad, didn't spend a lot of time. You were studying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Although I did work at WLSU. I used to do the news, which is kind of fun. Uh Um, So at some point, somebody said, do you want to see the music collection? And I said, sure, we'll go up there. I came up here and went. My first thought, because I have a little bit of experience as an archivist, is what is in the collection? And they said, oh, we don't know. And so you can't really get anyone to be interested in something if you have a whole bunch of something, but you cannot describe what it is. So I had contacted the Library of Congress, got in touch with the head of their music department and said, look, this is what we've got. I described it. And he said, in order for us to know whether there's anything unique enough that we would want it in the Library of Congress collection, we need a sample inventory, which means you need about a list of about 500 records. And here are the basically the headings of what I would need in a spreadsheet for me to know whether it's valuable to us. And then he just sort of walked me through it, which was really helpful. Uh-huh. He said, what we're looking for really are unique Um, labels. So if what you've got is RCA or DECA or one of the really common um, record companies that pressed a lot of records, a lot of their collections are already available. The Library of Congress may already have them. But if you've got something unusual, uh, particularly if it was actually recorded or pressed uh, here in Louisiana, 
that would be unique. And then he talked to me about what else to look for in terms of unique music. And so that's why I focused on the 78s rather than the 33 LPs. He said most commercial 33 LPs, it's really extremely unusual to find one that's rare. If you're looking at Billy Joel's Piano Man, there are millions of copies of it out there. <laughs> You've got one great for your collection, but not unique. Right. Not what the Library of Congress would be looking for. Right. And if you have something like Benny Goodman or Artie Shaw or just any of that, you right. probably might have something like that already. But I am a little curious about, about I guess, the value of it, um, because at some point there still will be very few of these old records uh, and I guess I, I'm kind of wondering, what are you, once you determine, once you reach the point where you determine what is valuable and what is supposedly n not so valuable at this moment, are, do you just throw them away? What do you do with them? Um, well, that's actually sort of an interesting question. Um, when I talked to the archivist, um, he said with what they would do with the sample inventory of about 500, and I'll tell you, it takes a lot of time because you have to both pull them pull the records, clean them, look through them, listen to them to see if they're even, uh, if you can even hear anything. Right. I mean, there are some recordings that are just in such, I wouldn't say poor shape, but either I need a better needle, I need a better something. It's just not picking up enough of the sound. So you have to listen to everything, and then I have to do the inventory that has the label number, the catalog number, the primary artist, the secondary artist, any titles that are on the 78, uh, what condition it's in, what year it was published, if that's available. I have to pull all that information off. And what I do is I put the each 78 in a sleeve, write all of that on there. I think I might need to get some labels printed out. <laughs> then I could just jot everything on the label. And then I put it in a spreadsheet. Okay. So he says once they have the uh, sample inventory, if there are records of interest to them, what they will actually do is send somebody down to create digital uh, copies of the record so that they can then put it in their collection. And he said they're not very likely that they would want the actual physical disc itself unless it's extremely unusual, something from okay. 1928, for example. Okay. Um, they might be interested as something that they might display. But for the most part, what they want is a digital copy of the song so that it can be widely shared with everybody in the world. Right. Anyone could come in, look at their inventory and say, I want to see, I want to listen to Kid Ori and his Creole band, Muskrat Ramble, you know, from 1930 uh -huh. something that has the following artist on it. That is what I want to hear. So he said at that point, the person that they send down to create the digital inventory could then... Uh, perhaps help us develop a plan for what we do with the rest of the records that are not included. When when you look at a music archive, the question becomes, is the value in the physical objects, these records, these plates, mm -hmm. or is the value in the music that can then be shared with people? So do you then digitize everything and get rid of the physical objects? And that digital collection really becomes what Lou would have wanted something that could be shared with everyone and more people could enjoy this collection. Mm -hmm. um, you really don't want these to just end up, as I said, in a landfill somewhere. But but what value does an object that you can't pull the the actual information, the art that is on that record, if you can't pull the art out, 
it's just a piece of black vinyl. That's right. it. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, it's hard to it's hard to go to anyone else and ask. Right. Exactly. Or say, hey, are you interested? And I have not contacted, for example, Xavier University or Tulane or even LSU to see if anyone would be interested in archiving it, coming in and trying to figure out what's actually here. You know, is there a graduate student somewhere that would like to write a thesis on this is how you preserve old records, or this is how you take old records and turn it into something that is then consumable that other people can enjoy as well. How important are the liner notes? Oh, the liner notes are ex of extreme interest <laughs> to them. Okay. So what happens with the 78, I don't know how familiar your listeners might be with 78s, but there is one song per side. Mm -hmm. So when you have an album of 78s, it's actually, it looks like a, a photo album kind of with sleeves in it. And all of the records that are part of that collection will be in there. Mm -hmm. The ones that I had found that were intact that had liner notes on the inside are absolutely fascinating because they talk about, you know, what the band is, who is playing with them, uh, other work they may have done. I, the liner notes have just a wealth of information. So they would definitely be interested in that. Now, whether what they would want to do is just take a digital, you know, high quality digital image of the liner notes to include with whatever 78s they might want to have a, a digital recording of, I'm not sure how they would use it, but they certainly, he certainly said, keep all the liner notes you can find. Keep all of them. All of them. Wow. Because that's, that is a lot of paper even, just looking around. Um, oh my goodness. And, I, and I, I am seeing different kinds of music just as I, as I look through, I see jazz and I see classical. Um, I think you mentioned that there was some, some other types of music that were um, cowboy music, yeah. Right, exactly. What's called cowboy music, I'd run across some of that as well. I, I personally am interested in jazz. So I was looking for the black jazz artists because they are the creators of the genre rather than the the copiers of the genre. Mm -hmm. And so as you mentioned that, you know, if you've got Artie Shaw or Benny Goodman or they didn't originate a lot of that music, they may have done a different um, take on the song but they're not the originators of jazz. And so I was looking more towards stuff toward the origin of jazz. Well, there could be some of the origin of cowboy music as well, okay. which is a very specific genre to U.S. music, just like jazz is. What is some of the blues. coolest stuff that you found? Um, you know, you were asking me that. Kid Ori and his Creole band, pretty interesting. Um, I think he was from Laplace, but I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But a lot of that is really old the New Orleans Blackbirds, um, Albert Wynn's Creole Jazz Band. These are the sort of things that might be truly unique right. that they wouldn't already have in their collection. A lot of Louis Armstrong with a lot of different bands that he played with. Okay. And so he had Louis Armstrong in his Savoy Ballroom 5, and he'll have a particular collection of musicians that he worked with. And then he'll do something else, and he'll have another set of musicians. He usually had a core group that he took with him. But this Louis Armstrong in his Savoy Ballroom 5, um, the two songs on this particular 78 were Save It Pretty Mama and No One Else But You was recorded on December 5th, 1928. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, so you found a, a real oldie, so but good. That's yeah. pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sharky's Dixieland Band. And the other thing, as I said, they look for um, unusual 
labels. So if you find a label and I go, well, I've never seen that before, that's probably something that they would be interested in as well. Um, What did you think when you found, you know, a unique Louis Armstrong album? I I don't know that it's unique. I just know that it's old. Okay. You know, so those are kind of two different things. Um, Mm -hmm. Could they have that in their collection? Possibly. But if they don't, that's something they would be interested in. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the cutoff is for out of the sample inventory when I finally get it done. Um, I don't know if it has to be a hundred songs to be worth it for them to send somebody down here with all of their equipment to then, you know, start the process of digitizing. And then what happens once it's digitized? What happens to the collection here? Um, That also is something that I would have to take to the board. So when Lou donated his collection, we had him sign a, uh, it's, it's basically a way that you manage your collection when people donate. There's an understanding that once it comes into the historical society, we can kind of decide what happens to it after that. I personally would not want to see all of these just, you know, put in a landfill somewhere. I think that would be sad. But unless people know what something is, they're not really willing to buy it or take it into their own collections. How many people have come up here to listen? Because people are able to come up here and listen if they like, right? They can. Um, mm-hmm. Not very few people since I've been president. So, mm-hmm. um, and the previous president, um, she ended up taking a job in another state. So I kind of took over in the middle of her term. And when she talked about the Lou Carter collection, it was just basically along the lines of these records weigh a lot and (laughs) the shelves are actually beginning to I can see the bend (laughs) yeah they're beginning to bend and in some cases may collapse so how do we basically get the collection down to those things that are most valuable and then basically offer the rest of it up for sale but again people aren't willing to buy it if they don't know what's in it right you know there is you know there is a bit of a vinyl comeback that's kind Mm -hmm. of happening at the moment so um, I guess, I don't know, what What do you think? Do you think that uh, there is some uh, some possibility that there, there might be some renewed interest in these particular albums? There could be. I mean, that's hard for me to know. Um, I do like vinyl. I do have vinyl of my own, but I'm not a collector. I'm not someone who's out there looking for that very unique blues record and would pay $13,000 for it because there are only two known copies in the world you know there are a couple of there are some collectors we were um i ended up talking to a collector who did come through he lives out in oregon and he comes out to the south periodically comes about once a year and he goes to mississippi and louisiana and he is looking for those truly unique records and he really will pay quite a bit for them he's specifically interested in blues I have found a lot of jazz. I have found very little blues. Um, I think it kind of depends on how you look at that genre, Mm -hmm. but I haven't found anything like a Robert Johnson uh, recording, for example. Okay. Uh, One of the other things that uh, came to mind when you asked me what happens with this actual physical collection, there are quite a few of the jazz musicians in New Orleans that lost their entire collections during Hurricane uh, Hurricane Katrina. They had to evacuate. 
a record collection was certainly not something you could take. And once their houses flooded, they were just gone. And I, that would be another option is to bring them up here and have them go through the collection and see if there are things that they could take to replace their collections that were lost. Wow. Wow. So that's yeah. another option. Right, yeah. Right. But the devastation of you losing a truly unique jazz record collection, how are you going to replace it? You know, even if you can find a replacement, you might not be able to afford it. Um, so that, that might be another option is to bring all of the New Orleans jazz musicians up here and have them just look through and see what they want. The Lou Carter Listening Room is upstairs at the Point Capi Historical Society in New Roads, Louisiana. If you want to stop by and take a listen, just let Janet know you have an interest. And while you're there, you can check out any of the other exhibits at the Historical Society. This is the Sunshine Bridge, a show dedicated to community in Louisiana. If you have questions or comments, please email the show at thesunshinebridge at gmail.com. I know it's been a while since I've posted, and for those of you who know me or don't know me, it has been a fairly difficult month. Uh, But to remedy that, if you would go ahead and hit subscribe so that you can hear any of the latest interviews as they get posted or updated, you won't have to constantly check, and you can always have the show right at hand. Show music is by Arnav Srivastav. I'm Elizabeth Eads. Thanks for listening.